do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And just that statement by itself, God comes and says, uh, how do we respond to fear? Do not fear. He says do not fear about 365 times throughout the Bible. That's an easy number to remember because that's how many days are in the year. So obviously fear is a big deal. God comes to us in our fears and he speaks to us. But at first it sounds not very compassionate, right? It's just, hey, do not fear. But why does he repeat this so many times? It's because everyone is afraid of something. Everyone is afraid of something. Now we can be talking about big fears. We can be talking about little fears. Little fears. For me, I hate eye doctors. I hate dentists. I hate bees. And I hate geese. Okay, don't judge me. I hate them. I was chased by a goose when I was 16. Okay, it is frightening. And of course, when it comes to little fears, uh, my wife said I could share this. Uh, her big deal is worms. She doesn't do worms. My eldest, spiders. Does not do spiders. And of course, the only thing flat earthers fear is fear itself. <laughs> Thank you, folks. I'll be here all week. Thank you. Thank you. But those little feels, yeah, there you go. Those little fears pale in comparison to the big fears. The fear of failure. The fear of man. The fear of the unknown. The fear of missing out. The fear of loss. The fear of pain. The fear of death. And all of us experience these types of fears about something in our lives. We are all people who fear things. Whether big or small, all of us know that feeling of fear when that thing that scares you comes into your life and your heart races faster, uh, you become, uh, 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 you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can barely function, you just want to check out of life. When I encounter the things that I'm afraid of, I have a tendency to just want to check out, to just complete avoidance and shut down. But we are all people who fear. Each of us feels that feeling about different things in our lives. But we're all people who fear. As an example, turn in your Bibles, please, to First, to First Kings. Sorry, First Kings, chapter nineteen. In chapter eighteen, we have one of the coolest events in the entire Bible. Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and what happens? He builds this altar to the Lord. They build their altar to their God. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes. And Elijah experiences this great victory from God. And then we get to chapter 19. And it says, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And, as he, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Jordan, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said, arise, eat. <clears throat> then he looked, and behold, there was a, uh, at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. 
The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, there then he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah has just experienced this great victory of God, and yet now he's running for his life and scared out of his mind. Like, what happened? I mean, it's not as if God had let him down. I mean, he just saw, I mean, I want you to picture what it would be like to be there on that mountain when fire comes from heaven and consumes. I mean, that would just be an awesome sight to see. And the very next chapter, Elijah's running scared for his life. Why do we fear? Why do we fear? Why was he so afraid? What we see in chapter 18, verses 17 through 18, the setup, we read, when Ahab saw Elijah... And uh, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. So that's Elijah in chapter 18, a man of confidence, a man ready to get the job done, standing up to the king. I mean, this is a man that you look at and go, man, that's confidence. And then chapter 19, verses 1 through 3 again. We see that him, he's running from this king, he's running from the king's wife, and he's uh, crying out, God, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to destroy me. So why do we fear? Why do we fear? Why do we have these emotions? We fear because we are all people who value. We fear because we are all people who value. Your fear is always a statement about what you value most in your life. Your fear is always a statement about what you love. Because at the root of our fear is always something we love. And the more we love someone or something, the more afraid we are when something touches or begins to take that thing away. Why? Because we fear what we fear because we are afraid of losing what we love. We fear what we fear because we are afraid of losing what we love. Whenever I have fear, it's because something is bumping into my values. Whenever I have fear, it's because something's bumping into my values. That's why I panic at the mall if my kid goes missing in a way I don't panic if my quarter goes missing. Right? It's like, oh, my quarter's gone. Too bad, so sad. My kid's gone. I hope my reaction's not the same. Why? Because something is infinitely more valuable to me than the other. And what I love and how much I love it determines what I fear and how much I fear it. What I love and how much I love it determines what I fear and how much I fear it. Whenever I love something, I will be afraid when that thing starts to go away. My fears will always revolve around the things I love most. Now, is fear necessarily wrong? No, it's not. Fear isn't necessarily wrong. 
Fear is a powerful force in our lives, and it's not necessarily bad. After all, there are some things you should be afraid of. You should be afraid of putting forks in electric sockets. Why? Because that will result in a very negative consequence. You should be afraid of leaving kids in locked cars when you go grocery shopping. Like, that should scare you enough to not do that. We should fear what will happen to our relationships if we neglect or abuse them. I should be afraid of those things. And actually, the Bible tells me, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is, fear who? God. And keep his commandments because this applies to every person. The Bible tells me to even fear God. In the New Testament, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the what? Fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Paul is writing there, and he says, look, each one of us is going to give an account of our lives to God, and you should be afraid of that. That should be a motivating factor in your life that causes a difference in your behavior. Because you will give an account of your life to God. We are to see God for who he is and live our lives accordingly. So fear isn't the problem. But when my fear stops me from being who God uh, has called me to be and doing what God has called me to do, that's a big problem. Uh, when I was uh, in my senior year of high school, I believed uh, during, uh, it was my junior year, I believed God had called me into ministry. I dedicated my life to going and serving God. I wanted to go. I was going to study at Faith Baptist Bible College and become a pastor. Uh, that was the goal. And uh, then I found out something as I was talking to the admission reps. You, you have to write papers. I don't do papers. It's not my thing. I was scared to death because I was told that in Acts class, there was a 15-page paper. You have to understand, by the time I graduated, I had never written more than three pages. I read less than five full books by the time I graduated high school, okay? Not my thing. And I was scared to death. And I came into my pastor's office and said, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do it. I cannot do what God is calling me to do because I can't write a 15-page Acts paper. And he looks in front, he sits me down and, and says, Jariah, I'm going to tell you this because I love you. You're an idiot. <laughs> and he says, first of all, they don't start you there. You get there. Second of all, you'll be fine, okay? And then he says, but more importantly, are you seriously going to let a paper stop you from fulfilling God's calling in your life? No. Now, what's funny is the rest of the story, when I got there, they did away with the paper, and I didn't have to do it anymore. <laughs> and now I write papers for a living. <laughs> Yeah, figure that one out. But sometimes we let our fears of things stop us from doing what God is calling us to do or being who God is calling us to be. Sometimes they're irrational fears, like a fear of writing a paper. Sometimes they're significant fears. Were people really chasing Elijah for his life? Yes, they were. This was not a made-up thing. Like Elijah's facing something that's real and that's powerful and it's eminent. This is not a little fear. 
This is a big fear that was shaping how he thought of even his relationship with God. God, I'm the only one left. Where is all the people that you said were going to be serving with me? His fear was stopping him from being who God wanted him to be and doing what God is calling him to do. But we know that, but often we would rather live with our fears than face them because it's easier to live with them than face them. Here's the answer. If you don't want to deal with your fear, fine. Just avoid situations where you'll have to face it. Cool, we can go home now. That's a simple answer, right? Just don't go around it. If you have a problem, just avoid it. That's the easy answer. But then the problem is I never grow and change to be more like Christ and to do what God is calling me to do and be who God is calling me to be. If you're afraid of something, don't put yourself in situations where you'll encounter that thing. But the problem is when I do that, I become a slave to my fear. While a fear of the eye doctor isn't really going to destroy some cosmic plan in my life, being so afraid of losing what I love that I refuse to obey God and have no joy really is a problem in my life. These fears are not only life-dominating, but often they stop us from obedience to God. Fear can be a good thing, but when it stops you from embracing your calling and who God has called you to be, it becomes a major obstacle. Feeding your fears keeps you from freedom. Feeding your fear keeps you from freedom. The easy answer is just avoid it. Don't go in the room. Don't go around that person. Uh, don't have that conversation. Just leave that church and go to a different one. Ignore the problem that's growing in your body. Don't Just ignore it. Just forget about it. But the problem is, is when I feed my fear, it keeps me being the same scared person in every new encounter. You're afraid of some type of confrontation, so you switch churches and find out, oh, there's people like that at the new church, too. You, you, you don't like the confrontation with your spouse, so you change spouses, and you find out, oh, they're human, too. Right? You, whatever it may be, you just avoid, 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 and then you find the problem is still there. God's still calling you to obedience, and you haven't grown at all. Every time you are faced with that particular thing, you will be captive to your fears. But when you respond biblically to fear, it isn't that you don't still have some fear, but your fear isn't the boss of your life anymore. Let me give you an example. There was a lady that I had the privilege of working with and counseling for uh, several months. And as I was walking through with her, her track record of going from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, as soon as things got hard... Uh, we began to explore some of her personal history. And this was a lady who had been abandoned by her family when she was just a young child. And every time things began to get hard, rather than allow someone to abandon her, she would abandon them and get, jump the gun on them. And she's like, this is great. I never have to be abandoned by anybody else. I never again have to feel that feeling that somebody walked out on me. The problem is, is now she's 56 and alone. And she has no meaningful relationships in her life. What did fear do? Fear kept her from freedom. She thought she'd have freedom by avoiding the fear. But all it did was keep her a slave to it. But see, God is calling us to engage our fears so that we can grow to be like Christ and fulfill his calling in our lives. The good news is, this isn't how God made us to be. We see this promise in Romans 8, 15. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, 
but you have received a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not calling us to fear these circumstances. He's calling us to fear him. He's calling us to love him, to value him most. If fear keeps us from doing and being who God created, created us to be, what's the solution? Well, look again at Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Why? For I am your God. God doesn't just give him a command. He doesn't give him a system of, well, try this, well, try this, well, try this. No. He says, do not fear. Why? And he points to himself. And he says, for I am with you. For I'm walking through this with you. Do not fear because I'm bigger than the thing that you are afraid of. For those of you who are big VeggieTales fans, I remember the uh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. Don't worry, I won't sing it. God is bigger than the boogeyman. No, okay. I dance like a white boy, don't I? But when we look at this whole concept of God calling us to focus on himself instead of our fears, why is that? Because God is greater than the things that we fear. And when he calls us to follow him, he's doing so because he wants to use the fear in our life to draw us into a closer relationship with himself. As a pastor, I do a lot of uh, funerals. And of course, the classic text is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what do we see when David writes this in Psalm 23, verses, uh, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? Say it with me. I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You see, what do we see again? What is the antidote to fear? It's not a system. It's not a 12-step program. It is God himself who enters our experience and he walks with us, shaping our experiences to point us to growth in Christ-likeness. So for the next several mornings that we're together, we're going to explore this series, Do Not Fear, Finding Hope in What Scares Us Most. We're going to be looking at the fear of failure. We're going to be looking at the fear of man. We're going to be looking at the fear of the unknown and the fear of death. These are the things that we struggle with. These are the things that keep us from being who God is calling us to be and doing what God is calling us to do. But in general, what is it that we're supposed to do when we're called to engage our fears? I want to give you a couple questions to ask, and we're going to explore this more throughout the week. But the first thing we find is identify your fear. And the question is, what am I scared of? Because if we fear what we fear because we're afraid of losing what we love, and to the degree that I love something, I will fear it. And how much, what are, uh, how much I love something determines uh, what I fear and how much I fear it. Then the first thing I have to ask is, what am I scared of? The second thing I have to ask is, to understand my fear, what am I afraid of losing? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of losing? This shows the heart behind it. This shows the values, the loves that are driving our fear. Number three, confront your fear. What is true about God and what is true about my fear? And then lastly, number four, we not only identify our fear, asking what am I scared of, we understand our fear, asking what am I afraid of losing, 
Number three, we confront our fear, asking what is true about God and our fear. But number four, we conquer our fear. What is God calling me to do, and what has he given me to do it? I want you to go in your Bibles again to 1 Kings chapter 19. Look at God's response to Elijah. He says in verses 11 through 18, And he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was, rendering, was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel a king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth, uh, of Abel-Maholah, why don't they just name him Josh or Smith, right? You shall anoint as a prophet in your place. And it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu, shall put to, shall, uh, put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel... All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what does God do? God reminds him, number one, you're seeing things wrong. Your fear has clouded your judgment and you are not the only one left. That's what fear does. If you've heard the song on the radio, fear is a liar, or as my five-year-old likes to sing, seer is a wire. That's exactly true. Fear lies to us. That's what Satan does. He doesn't come and tell us the whole truth. He tells us partial truths or he lies to us. That's what fear does. It, it, it leads us to not see reality the way it is. We see parts of it. We focus on those parts and they dominate us. God's answer is you're not seeing things right. You're not the only one. But the answer is go and do what I've called you to do for I am with you. He again calls him to himself rather than to a system. So as we get ready to move forward with facing our fears, here's my one question for you as we leave to think about. What could God do in your life, family, or church if fear didn't hold you back? I want you to think about this as a family tonight and think about it, and we're going to be building on this question each morning together. But I want you to think about, especially uh, if you're here with your spouse or you're here with your kids or, or your grandkids, what could God do in your life, family or church, if fear didn't hold you back? What is it that God's calling you to do that you're not doing because you're afraid? And what could, what could God do in your life if that fear wasn't stopping you? Again, this week we're going to be looking at the fear of failure, which we'll look at tomorrow. The fear of man, the fear of the unknown, and the fear of death. Man, I'm convinced that this is a powerful message that God wants to give us. Do not fear, for I, am the Lord, for I the Lord, am with you. But it's going to come with, are you going to have a bigger love and value for what God is, or for who God is, what he wants to do in your life, or are you going to 
obsess over lesser loves? Are you going to live for lesser things? Are you going to define yourself lesser ways and then allow your fear to shape how you respond to God? I hope that uh, you'll be excited about this as we get together. I'm excited. Uh, this series grew out of an, my own season of fear. I was going through things a couple years ago that were uh, 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 controlling how I was responding not only to my church, but also to my family. And I said, okay, what does God say about fear? How do I deal with these fears in my life? And that's why I'm so excited to share these things with you over the next couple mornings. Let's pray.